Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at various locations uh, around New York City and apparently uh, California. Uh, I, I'm Calvin Reed, uh, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. You can check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Uh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. This week on More to Come, uh, CBLDF and the and SBX's legal fund. Uh, a new president at CBLDF, Comicsgate yet again, and um, and some news about the Valkyries. Uh, and remembering Marie Severin and Gary Friedrich. Uh, and also uh, some news about uh, Milton Greep and his annual insider sessions at New York Comic Con. So, the CBLDF, SBX, and the defamation lawsuit against uh, the 11 cartoonist publishers. Um, yes, uh, these two organizations rallied uh, to come up with a, a solution uh, uh, and support uh, for the 11 cartoonists that were charged in this defamation um, suit by uh, Cody Pickrod. Right. Yeah, we talked about this last time on the show, uh, how, uh, you know, small press publisher Cody Pickrod was, uh, had allegedly uh, committed mm-hmm. some uh, fairly egregious crimes, actually, but, um, you know, harassment, uh, allegedly yeah. uh, anti-Semitic, all this stuff, and, um, we Poor business practices as well, yeah, not paying people, alleged. Also, uh, alleged, uh, even as far as rape. And, um, yeah, yeah, you know, allegedly. But he, and a lot of people had talked about this in the wake of the Me Too movement, and then he uh, just now had um, uh, uh, filed a, what is it, a $2.5 million, $25 million defamation I think it's $2.5 million. $2.5 million defamation suit. Um, against uh, 11 people who had talked about the allegations and, um, you know, the, 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 the pillars of the community, um, you know, really fantastic cartoonists and really some of the most respected people in the business in the indie side. And, you know, there was a lot of upset. I mean, these people can't afford uh, the lawyers sure. to um, to fight this. So, you know, we were talking about it last time. There was a lot of pressure being put on the CBLDF uh, to do something, you know, yeah. but uh, they were kind of being very cagey publicly. However, they were saying that they were trying to do something, and um, yeah, and and, and, and this, I don't know what the so they were did do something. Yes, they absolutely <laughs> did do something, and and uh, you know, I, you know, I was in communication with both organizations. I, I assume you were too, Hardy, yes. Heidi. Yes, yes, uh, and, um, and and look, look, uh, some of this conflict came it came about in particular on the CBLDF side because of its charter because it's chartered and legally uh, uh, obligated to in- involve itself in First Amendment constitutional right in, uh, um, issues. That said, the organization uh, was constantly looking for a way uh, and in touch with all of the people, as I understand it, uh, all of the defendants, to make sure that they receive support, uh, advice, and in the end, working in conjunction uh, with uh, Warren Bernardi, executive director of the Small Press Expo, uh, it seems to me they came up with an innovative way to do just that, to provide some real support and not violate anybody's charter. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I I agree with that. I mean, I uh, you know, I mean, I think it's it's, it's great that they have twenty thousand dollars, and you know, they're going to start kind of a new fund, which is what a lot of people said they should do. Um, you know, I still stand by. I think we were talking last time. I do not think that uh, you know a lot of people were calling into a lot of people on the indie comic scene were calling into question. You know, what use is it to have a comic book legal defense fund if it's not going to you know defend against this kind of thing? And um, you know, I think that's a really valid question. I do not feel that um, you know the CBLDF really. Ex- ex- I, you know, they came out, they signed on to a statement that a lot of people signed on about, about supporting Simon & Schuster when they published Milo Yiannopoulos. You know, I think it's important to speak about these kind of issues, too. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, that this is, the CBLDF was created when there wasn't even social media, and all the rules have changed now, as will be discussing. That's a good point. Yeah, well, you know? I, as, well, I do think it's a valid issue to, to, to start discussing, it. do we need a new organization uh, I don't know what's required to legally change your charter and mission. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something that they can discuss internally. Um, uh, uh, the, the kinds of things that the, the kinds of issues that CBLDF was created to address still exist, uh, and they do a very good job at that. Um, but as for uh, creating a fund to def- to defend against. Um, any lawsuit against any cartoonist? I mean, I suppose you could do it. It'll be interesting to see if you can come up with a criteria for what. Oh, I think, but what, I, you what know, it is I, you're supposed to. I mean, well, what side you take? It's well, interesting because Neil Gaiman was trying to address this issue, I think, online as well, uh, because he's been a subject of a number of lawsuits. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? Rob, Neil Gaiman is a millionaire, and Rob Clough isn't. Okay. <laughs> You know, that's the bottom line here for me. I mean, it's a fund that's set up, you know, it was set up to give legal aid to people who couldn't afford it. And certainly these 11 people who are being uh, sued cannot afford this lawsuit. Well, once again, uh, they have a legal obligation to to uh, operate in a certain area of the law. If they can change their charter, uh, then they should do it. You know what? Uh, if you look at the list of cases the CBLDF covered, one of them was tax, uh, Paul Mavridi's tax bill. I don't see how that's a First Amendment issue. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people have kind of brought up a variety of cases. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Um, it seems as though in most of the cases where these cases were brought up, saying, oh, well, what about this? And, and there was a very direct line of free speech and constitutional issues, um, you know, around them. Um, well, I'm I not a lawyer, so I'm not going to claim that it is or isn't a First Amendment uh, yeah, issue. Well, you know, I think if you're raped and you say you were raped, I think that's a free speech well, issue. I, well, well, yeah, but <laughs> well, look, I'm not going to debate Heidi about this, though, Heidi, I think you can certainly debate the CBLDF if you choose to. Um, yeah. I don't think that the CBLDF is saying just just to blow off the comics industry. I think they're trying to provide support. When they ever oh. they can, as well as stay within the legal parameters of their their charter. If the but, issue is the should their charter be changed, should we need a new organization? I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, but 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 this ignores the fact that they did sort of come up with a workaround. Yes, yes, they absolutely did. Yeah, no, 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 they absolutely did. Now, at the same time, they've also got a new president. Yes, and who I don't know a whole lot about, Christina Merkler. Uh, she yep. apparently runs a very formidable uh, online uh, comics retail service. Yeah. 
I don't think anybody knows anything about her. <laughs> yeah, well, she was unanimously, unanimously elected president of the board, uh, uh, in addition to a slate of uh, of new uh, new officers. Uh, but uh, honestly, I don't know too. Too. I mean, we know some of the new officers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know too much more than that. Right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, supposedly she she was uh, she did issue the statement uh, about um, about the the new fund that uh, the CBLDF and SPX were setting up. So, you know, uh, more power to her. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I, we look forward to, you know, listen, the former uh, she replaces Larry Martyr. Yes. Uh, a long time a board member of the fund. And, um, you know, I mean, I can't say that Larry was very visible, I don't think, as president. So uh, I don't know if Christina will be visible as president. But, you know, new boards tend to have new new ways of doing things. So, so you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and then, what, some of the new officers, uh, Chris Powell uh, was elected to the board, apparently. Um, Ted Adams, uh, former CEO uh, of IDW and co-founder of IDW. Uh, and well, who else? Um, uh, Dale uh, Sinelli. Although, wasn't he already on the board? Yeah, some of them were already on the board. Yeah, that's what I didn't quite understand. Uh, she, that. It's a, she's a she. A she, excuse <laughs> me. Excuse yeah. me, sorry. Sorry, Dale. <laughs> um, Dale Harden. But, yes, well, anyway, she's on there. Uh, uh, the, the, we we uh, Congratulations to the new president, and obviously we'll, we'll be waiting to see... Uh, where CBLDF goes in under this new board and in a new a new landscape for comics. Yeah. With yeah, new totally. challenges. Oh, yes, new challenges. Well, speaking of new challenges, um, so I think last time we were here, we were talking a little bit about uh, the latest in the comics gate disaster and uh, about how they'd gone after Marsha Cook by telling her how Darwin Cook, her late husband, would have thought about them. And, uh, you know, this aroused the ire of quite a few comics pros. And uh, I think last time we spoke that Bill Sienkiewicz and Jeff uh, Lemire had been speaking out against it. And yes. they were joined by quite a few people, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, kind of got uh, got things going a little bit more. Um, and, you know, we don't really talk a lot about Comicsgate that much here on the podcast, but there were a lot of developments. I'm going to, like, give a really, really, really brief summary. So... Um, one of the things that the, the people they were attacking was E. Viewing, who we mentioned, who oh, uh, right. yes, yes. brilliant African American, mm-hmm. uh, you know, social uh, sociology professor and poet, uh, who was hired to write a new comic at Marvel, and they were saying that she was unqualified. And a lot of people were pointing out that, um, you know, a lot of uh, the best writers of comics, including Scott Snyder and Tom King, had not written comics sure. before. You know, they were saying she was unqualified, and then. You know, they were going on Twitter and saying that. And then Neil, Neil Gaiman stepped in and said, you know, I wasn't, hadn't written any comics when DC hired me to do Black Orchid. And then a bunch of people from Comicsgate said, oh, no, you had done comics when you wrote Black Orchid. <laughs> You're going to tell Neil what he did. You know. Wikipedia. And, you know, they, they called it Gaiman-splaining. And, uh, you know, I think this finally broke the absurdity yeah. Uh, element. I mean, and you know, it is unfortunate. It has to be a white man, you know, a white uh, New, uh, Newbery Award winning white man uh, who says, um, you know, this is what actually happened. But um, it, it, everybody was just kind of like, wow, these guys are the Comicsgate people are really um, dopes. If just totally bizarre, eaten. uninformed, yeah, just bizarre. weird. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, then adding to all the excitement. 
uh, Vox Day, the notorious, uh, you know, white supremacist. I mean, you know, I, I'm not that familiar with his background, but I know he's a horrible, you know, espouses white supremacy and uh, misogyny and all that. Kate, I, I think you know a little bit more about him. But um, Vox Day is quite the character. He's not he's not just a misogynist or a racist. He is a provocateur. Uh, he is yeah. one of the guys who got this whole sad puppies, rabid puppies thing spinning yes. totally out of control. He's a little bomb thrower who's a terrible, terrible writer, like an infamously bad writer. Like, yeah. it, like, like, no, 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 this is relevant. Who was very, who decided that comics gate and before that, um, the science fiction version of Gamergate was his ticket to the big time. And so he shamelessly like rides it into the hearts of, of disaffected young white men. And then as long as nobody reads his writing, (laughs) he's good. But he writes, he not only writes terrible fiction, he writes, hilariously terrible, pretentious, over-intellectualizing prose that's like, I'm a genius who has read a couple old books, therefore something, something racism, something, something sexism. Okay. And so he's, I mean, in a way, he's kind of hilarious, um, but he's, he's a provocateur. Like he definitely did this to get a reaction. He didn't do this because he was like, Oh, I want some comics. I'm a well, publisher. Well, 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 just to back up, I never got to the, to the nut graph of it. Okay. So okay. he has had, he has announced several comics imprints that he's been getting right. into back of the yeah. you mentioned. So then like on Monday, what did it say? Thursday, I, I'm in Long Beach anyway. That's a whole different story, but uh, I've been traveling quite a bit lately. So, um, he announced that he had trademarked Comicsgate and was starting a line of comics called Comicsgate Comics. And now, <laughs> to the you know to the to consternation of a lot of the people who follow Richard Meyer, see Meyer and Diversity in Comics, and you know honestly, I think a lot of them uh, are are a little disassociated from their own reality, and they were not aware that, you know, so many of their comments are aimed at women and women of color and trans women and, um, you know, uh, the, the, the non-white male voices. So they were actually saying, oh, you know, Vox Day, he's a horrible white supremacist. We want nothing to do with him. And then, and then Richard C. Meyer, who leads Comicsgate, came out and said, said, um, Oh, trying to take over Comicsgate, like not on my watch or something like that. And so, of course, we were all <laughs> laughing at our asses off. I mean, but well, then it but we'll, gets but weirder, this, right? So, but so basically, the leaders of Comicsgate right now are Richard C. Meyer and uh, Ethan Van Skyver, a comics artist, and you know they're claiming that they're being ostracized from comics because they're conservative. You know what? They're not. They're being ostracized no. from comics because a, they're terrible, and b. They're bullies and they're bullies they and harassers have, is what they are. And they were, yeah, they're harassers and they espouse causes that are, uh, that are racist, sexist, transphobic, and ableist. And yeah, they're delusionally and disconnected from any facts about I, the business. I, I, okay, I want to 
just in there too. So anyway, but wait, 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 Kate, before you get going, let me just, I said I would be brief, so let me try to be brief, and let me just tell you <laughs> okay. the latest wonderful development. So after all this happened, um, I believe it was a colorist who posted screenshots of emails from Ethan Van Sciver asking the colorist if he wanted to work for Vox Day. So, I mean, the idea that Vox Day somehow did this comic state comics without the knowledge of Ethan Van Sciver was pretty much blown sky high. Yeah. And that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, yeah, wherever that yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, these I think it's, keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I think it's fair for, to say that maybe even a comic skater might have something they thought was a bit too far. And maybe horrible as they can be, maybe they do recognize Vox Day as going too far. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they're like realizing maybe that there is such a thing as things you shouldn't say. So I'm all in favor of them not merging with Vox Day into some um, horrible uh, Voltron of, of, uh, bad fandom behavior. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I think that some of them really did not sign up for for this white supremacist narrative. Okay. And, you know, Richard C. Meyer was in Charlottesville the day of the, you know, the alt-right um, march there. He says he just stopped by to look at some comics. So, you know, whether you believe it or not. But yeah, I agree. I think some people are being conned because this, we were talking about this in the before the show. And, you know, the reality is that there are all these crowdfunders going on right now, and they're getting the, their followers to shell out lots of money for these books that are supposedly going to save comics. You know, so there is all <laughs> the monetary incentive in the world to get people to sign up for this stuff. Oh, they, 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 I mean, the, the, the most cynical part, I mean, this, the, the most cynical part of this ugly program is that they, they really, they seem to know that they can raise money by, uh, basically, by trolling people. Right, right, right. So, well, anyway, you know, let me let me move forward because, you know, we had an item. I, I think we don't want to talk that much about Comicscape, but I thought we did want to talk. And once again, yes, I know it's too late, <laughs> but we don't want to go on about it for hours. But, you know, there's been a lot of, like, we argue all the time whether to talk about it or not. Because I firmly believe a troll should just be banned and silenced and you move on. But a lot of people are, you know, feel differently um, and one thing that happened as kind of fallout from all of this, although it's really more a symptom than uh, of, a, of a problem, is uh, what just happened today with the Valkyries. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. Um, but, uh, I mean, I now, don't know. Do you want to explain what that is? <clears throat> well, uh, from what I understand, the Valkyries uh, have announced that they're disbanding themselves because of, uh, I mean, uh, at least on the surface, a history of insensitivity uh, – to um, to black women of color, um, uh, the beat has a pretty good account um, uh, or, or that I, or a story that I think just went up. Uh, mm. I can't claim to know a lot about the details, uh, and in my understanding, I think just in the brief conversation that I had with, with Kate and, and with you, is that you know there are other issues perhaps going on in the background. But my response basically is that the Valkyries seem to really supply an important outlet. Uh, for for certainly for women cartoonists, but yes. really, uh, I mean, this is really a kind of a global organization of female retail employees that took it well, upon themselves to make sure that certain kind of comics didn't get ignored. 
Yeah, well, you know, just to kind of fill in a little bit more, the Valkyries have been around for about six years. Um, you know, I wrote an article about them for mm, PW yeah. a while ago, and at first it was really a fantastic organization um, that was open only to women who worked in comic shops. Uh, who, uh, so, you know, I have never been to a Valkyries meeting. I know individual Valkyries, but, you know, I have never seen any of the inner workings. They also started a sister uh, organization that was for women who work in bookstores and librarians, but once again, as a journalist, not invited. So, hmm. um, you know, and that's great. You know, yeah. that's yeah. absolutely fine. Um, and at first, it really provided a way for female comics pros to kind of promote their work and get the clerks to talk about it. But, um, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, MNT a website, a newsletter about yeah. comics. Mm-hmm. We posted an article by Jasmine Joyner. She is a uh, an African American woman who used to own a comic shop, uh, Visionary Comics in Southern California, and uh, she is uh, she wrote about her account of her of her time in the Valkyries. And to, to bring it back to Comics Gate, she mentioned you know a very controversial thing that happened was when Heather Antos, who was a white uh, editor at Marvel, uh, got targeted by the Comics Gate people for drinking a milkshake, a whole very strong. Uh, there was this whole make mine milkshake uh, hashtag went around, yes. and she got yes. support from everywhere. And you know, a lot of women in color, a lot of trans women, a lot of people who had been targeted by Compass Gate felt really betrayed because they did not feel that there had been uh, this kind of support for them. And so Jasmine pointed this out, and you know, she kind of pointed out in this article that's up on Comics MNT that you know you gotta go intersectional or go home. You know, and that's what the Valkyries did. I mean, they kind of admitted that they had not been able to get, um, you know, diversity of voices as uh, administrators and, and running this organization. And um, so that they had failed at, at being intersectional and that it was time to kind of call it a day. Well, I mean, I think that that's okay. If that was really all that happened, I would say just abstractly that's maybe not the right response that it is that, you know, if you are an organization that happens to be majority white, you can still be a good ally and listen to advice from outside people. Right. Um, And that closing your doors and going home the first time someone points out that, Hey, you made a mistake and you should own up to it is not super productive in the long run. Right. But, Reading between the lines, knowing what I know of human nature, knowing what I know of reading between the lines, it really kind of sounds like there were a lot of conversations on this subject behind closed doors. Yes. And I've heard a little bit about that as well. And it sounds like there were some personality conflicts here. You know, another one of the uh, another one of the things that uh, Jasmine Joyner wrote was that she had talked to. Uh, she brought this up with one of the Valkyrie founders, the woman who recruited me. I told her how insensitive it was for them to blindly follow, blah, blah. Uh, she said, the Val- she says, Jasmine says, the Valkyries didn't seem to be a safe place for my voice. Uh, the next day, I decided to leave. That same admin had taken our conversation and my grievance with the group and turned it into an article published on a large comic website. She was praised for writing about the exact concerns I brought to her. Well, that's pretty bad. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's sort but of... I mean, bizarre yeah, to take it take these concerns and then kind of turn well, it into 
You know, listen, I, unfortunately, having been a president of a, well, I wasn't president, whatever I was, of a women's and comics organization, uh, and that came and went, uh, you know, listen, uh, there we still struggle against that there can be only one narrative, the Highlander narrative, you know, and unfortunately, yeah. because because we do get marginalized, then it becomes a fight for who is going to get that space and going to get that space. Yeah. yeah. But instead of, <coughs> instead of multiple organizations who can be allies and friends and doing slightly different things. Yeah, but, you know, time moves on. And, I mean, we were, you know, I feel like all these topics, I've been trying to work on an essay tying a lot of these together because, you know, we were just talking about how CBLDF might need to look at its charter. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And, you know, the Valkyries is an organization that did a lot of great things, but ultimately was flawed. And they looked at where they were six years later and said, you know what? This is not working. Yeah. Well, I mean, if an organization decides to close, they can close. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll be interesting yeah. to see if anything, if, if another organization uh, rises up in its right. uh, in, uh, in, in its wake. Uh, it's hard to believe that this kind of organization, uh, I mean, I don't know how many members it had. Uh, did you say? Did you? Have, no, it's all a very shadowy. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I know. Because I mean, it started very informally, and and, and then sort of but realized I think it's reached the kind several of impact hundred. that it could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, has several hundred members, absolutely. Yeah. But you, you know, know, maybe something I'm, else will come up in its wake that yeah. uh, is more equipped, uh, maybe to deal with a more complicated uh, landscape than right. uh, perhaps when it started. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like, just to, I don't think we want to get into this today, but it all circles back to really the central question of our time, which is how to deal with uh, the fact that, you know, our our lives, our government, uh, the world has become one big uh, comment thread now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, we have trolls are a part of our conversation, you know, they are no. The trolls are no longer marginalized. And, no, no, you know, no. We, yeah. we argue about whether to talk about comics gate or not, and um, you know, I'm a firm believer in as little as possible. Even though I brought it up this time, but just because I think, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of collateral damage from it. Yeah, and at some point you have to address it. Yeah. yeah, you can't stop the damage anymore. Yeah. All right. Uh. <sighs> so. Uh, let's segue um, an, to an unfortunate um, uh, to some an unfortunate uh, uh, um, situations, well, but sad. but also well, it's sad, it, it's but sad because they're passing, we but celebrate. we're celebrating their lives. So, uh, do, do, yeah. what, what, why don't you talk about it, Heidi? Uh, in particular, well, we talk yeah, about the you passing. Know, we, we lost both. You know, we lost yeah. Ditko recently, and now we just lost Marie Severin, who mm-hmm. was eight years old, and then Gary Friedrich, yes, uh, who was I believe seventy five. You know, Russ Heath also passed away. So yeah. we just, you know. Uh, not to be too goofy about this, but they do call August the death month. So yeah. um, it definitely took a toll this time. That's for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, Gary Friedrich was the co-creator of uh, Ghost Rider, probably best known for having a, uh, a legal battle against Marvel to get some of the rights to the Ghost Rider back when people thought that the Nicolas Cage movies were going to be successful. And, um, <laughs> you know, okay. uh, he, uh, uh, a court ruled against him. But then on um, a uh, appeal, uh, they the reversed that decision. And, you know, they came, Marvel and Friedrich came to yeah. a uh, settlement. So, and he, it, it, he said he, he declared himself pleased with the settlement. So, um, you know, I mean, I guess there was some closure there in that way. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's left us. But, you know, really one of the titans of comics uh, was Marie Severin. She, her brother John, was at EC. She got into coloring comics for EC and then uh, drawing uh, them for Marvel. But, 
you know, I just, uh, you know, I knew Marie. Everybody oh, loved her. Mm-hmm. She was the queen of the bullpen, and mm. she was just one of the, you know, funniest, most big-hearted, uh, and I gotta say, talented people in mm-hmm. comics. Sure, people were were tri- you know sending out tributes when she passed away, and you know she had a stroke about ten years ago and had been living in assisted living for quite a while. So, um, but as people were putting up her art, you know, as a kid, Marie obviously was one of my idols because mm-hmm. you just see the names of women yeah. in mainstream comics. It'd always be like, oh well, you know, what about Marie Sarah or Ramona Fraid? They did some stuff, and you know their names would always be bought up as, oh, there were women in comics. And, you know, looking at Marie's work, you know, she was, a, she was one of the best cartoonists of her time. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was so incredible at both humor and, you know, her covers are absolutely iconic. You know, they're some of the greatest. She was one of the best Doctor Strange artists ever, even after Steve Ditko, you know? And, I, I mean, I think it's really a shame that... I mean, she's certainly celebrated, but it really is like, wow, it's like she, she's one of the greats. She really is one of the yeah, greats. She, she doesn't just deserve a mention in a podcast yeah. here or there. She deserves, like, artist editions of her works like we have of all yeah. her equivalent Yeah, well, breaks. hopefully that's what we'll see. And um, well, Yes, but why should it wait until she dies? Well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, of course. Well, they did do, I think Tomorrow's did do a, a big, one of their books about, yeah, you know. Tomorrow's, come on. Well, I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I mean, like, Tomorrow's is, is everybody who was on the comic scene for five seconds. I'm talking, like, fantagraphic to your man. Yeah, well, you know, listen, I will tell you, Marie's very humble and modest. She didn't like attention in that way. You know, she didn't want to be held up as a role model or a... Or an icon, you know. I mean, it must oh, have been she could be held up as a, yeah, a good artist whose work we enjoy. Maybe yeah. some of those incredible uh, artist editions that IDW kind of um, pioneered and, and and that other publishers are starting to take up now. Yeah, uh, and I mean, her coloring that would be is, a great tribute. And yeah, her coloring was just mm-hmm. the best business, you know. And I mean, she worked with a limited palette at the time, and you know, for my money, the coloring like you know they recolored a lot of her stuff when they reprinted it and. It's it's looks awful, you know. She was just a master of of using the palettes at the time, and um, you know she's just uh, she's just one of the great people. I mean, she's absolutely one of the greatest people, you know, from the bullpen, the classic bullpen era. You know, she was just loved by everybody who knew her, and but you know, she's just one of the greats. She's one of the comics greats. I'm lucky to have known her. Let me put it that way. All right. <clears throat> Uh, okay. Uh, we get some, listen, we get some, uh, we talk a lot about conventions here, and so we're cognizant of that. So we're not going to talk as much about conventions. But here is something that kind of, uh, speaks to a lot of what we're talking about. So Calvin and I have received word that Milton Greep, who normally does his ICV2 white paper every year at New York Comic Con, will not be doing it this year. Right, Calvin? Yeah. No, uh, I I was shocked. I was in communication with. Milton, actually, basically to, you know, to find out what his plans were for this year, to find out that, uh, indeed, there are no plans. It's interesting. Um, uh, it seems as though with new developments going on at uh, this year's New York Comic Con, including the launch of a new anime and manga festival, uh, they, there really was uh, a lack of space and timing for uh, Milton to do his, I mean, his his um, his white paper session, I mean, has been called insider sessions the last few years. Yeah. So yeah. he's going to be there, but he's not going to be uh, fronting a big B two B conference. 
No, and but I mean, he, you know, it, he would deliver his white paper, which is where he kind of talked about industry statistics and, oh, yeah. and I mean, you know, what was, you know, manga sales, what was up and down. And I mean, you know, we quoted this endlessly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and no, what he did, his white paper defines what the industry was yeah. in the last year. I mean, believe me, we're all hanging on every word. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's so a what's major the deal, part guys? of our coverage. So, um, but I intend to chase him down at New York Comic Con and, and talk to him some more. Um, and 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 then find out what his plans are. He he's he according to the note he sent around. I mean, he's trying to come up and plan a, you know a new generation of of uh, ICV to a sponsored talk. So um, well, obviously we haven't heard the last of, of Milton Green. Yeah, sure. yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it is. But it's a little uh, startling that, that he's not going to be there. You know, there's a little bit of uh, you know. Uh, I, I have this statement. This went out to his conference supporters. It's like, we regret to inform you there will be no ICV2 conference at New York Comic Con this year. Last year, New York Comic Con took first steps towards running its own uh, B2B event with ICV2 support, but elected not to move forward with a full ReadPop B2B event as planned this year, citing conflict for resources with New York Anime Fest, a major new side event kicking off during the show. NYCC also informed us last Friday that they are declining to have ICV2 run our own B2B event the 2018 show citing space issues. Well, you know, enjoy that tea because that was, uh, <laughs> you know, Milton is about the most even-tempered person I know, but, you know, that was a little... Uh, it's know, sort of startling. Milton. I mean, really. Uh, savage. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the, it, this doesn't reflect well, obviously, it seems to me. I mean, the notion that they didn't have space for, for, uh, for Milton seems just completely breathtaking to me. Uh, yeah, this guy has defined this industry for it's so many years. It's place in a hall. I yeah. mean, come on. It wasn't like, you know. I mean, I mean and listeners, just so you understand, the place that they let Milton be last year, it wasn't like it took up convention space. They put it in the press room. <laughs> I know. It's sort of like, bizarre. Like, the press was there anyway. It, it took up no space that was being used for the actual convention. Right, so. right. It was up, yeah. Well, it was up in the what do they call it up there? The Crystal Pavilion, or yeah. you know, the Crystal yeah. Palace, which they there. always use for the press room. Which they yeah. always use, yeah. Which, which you know, was where our refuge. This is our our north star at the con. I just go up there and I stay there the whole time, and uh, you know, meet people up there because uh, everywhere else is hell. But it sounds like they're going to give it over to the Anime Fest this year. Where ah. Uh, well, you know, remember now, the Anime Fest is actually not even going to be in Jeff. It's going to be in Pier 94. Yeah, well, so yeah. So that, anyway. that makes it even more mystifying as to what they're well, talking about. Well, well, all right. You know, in deference to our listeners, we're not going to keep bitching and moaning about, <laughs> yes, about okay. God here. So it'll be here soon enough. Yes. All right. So, okay. Hey, Kate, news briefs. The briefs. So, um, we've got a bit of anime news for you this week, listeners. Some of it better than others, some of it more amusing than others. The great news is that um, statistics have come out that the anime industry revenues for the past year have topped 200 billion yen, which in American dollars is 1.8 million dollars, more or less. A billion dollars, more or less. Um, and that's great because, as we have heard, Many times in a drumbeat over the last five years or so, anime revenues were down. Anime revenues were down. Anime revenues were down. Well, they're not down anymore. They're not rising, perhaps, at the rate they were once, but $1.8 billion is a new high for them. 
Mm-hmm. So that's wow. great news. Yes, that is. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, you know, maybe the streaming model is is helping them pull out of the uh, illegal download apocalypse. And um, in not-so-amazing anime news, um, unfortunately, Russian state media has come out with a quote-unquote report, um, which, yes, Russian state media tends to reflect Russian state policy, that um, anime promotes teenage suicide. Oh, yes. Um... To quote it, they make a lot of quality cartoons in Japan. They're not dangerous if you don't watch them all day. It's another thing entirely if the characters are teenagers, like their viewers, who smoke and drink and even cut their veins. Mm-hmm. And well. then they go on at length about how um, anime is, is <clears throat> quote-unquote, it's best to restrict access to questionable groups. Even if they're playing in the background, their content will slowly sleep into, seep into the brain. So oh, this is like seduction uh, of the innocents for yeah, like a yeah, new it's generation. Like a seduction it's kind of, of the ridiculous. innocent part two with, uh, how shall we put this? A whole bunch more authoritarian state yeah. behind it than the last time. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, the Russian government will find <clears throat> better things to do with their time, money, yeah. and power. But don't count on it, folks. Um, if we have any Russian listeners out there, uh, we, we're we behind you, and we uh, hope your anime collections are not in danger. <laughs> okay. And um, that's about it for news this week. But, oh, wait, guys, wait. Oh, wait, that's wait, right. Wait. We've got um, uh, another episode of Stargazing, and I'll be talking with uh, Meg Limke, the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor, about three upcoming uh, starred graphic novel reviews. So stay tuned. Well, we are back again for another segment of Stargazing with Meg Limke, the uh, Graphic Novels Review Editor of Publishers Weekly. Uh, hey, Meg. Hi, Calvin. So um, we're here to talk about a starred PW graphic novel review. So what are we talking about this week? So we have three books this week, and I'm going to start with a book coming out in September from Koyama. Ah, I love Koyama Press. I love Koyama also. <laughs> and I'm sure on the main podcast you've talked about Annie Koyama's news, you know, about transitioning Yes, the unfortunate news that uh, she plans to shut down the press in a year or two from now. Um, Though, obviously, uh, you know, the small press life is pretty demanding. But uh, believe me, uh, there's not too many publishers that are so universally respected and loved as Annie Koyama. She has incredible taste, and I think that shows in this title, Chlorine Gardens by Kyler Roberts. I'm also a huge fan of Kyler's. I've followed her work a long time. You know, she was originally introduced to me by um, Bill Cortopoulos. Mm-hmm. And she's a discovery who I think a lot of people have discovered now mm-hmm. because she is such an unusual and specific voice. You know, I think that uh, when we look at starred reviews, one of the things that really I'm looking for is something unique, you know, which is difficult in some ways to find in any title. Um, but you, you know when you see it, someone who is – doing something that is just not something that you have seen elsewhere and is so resonant. Um, 
You know, I, I don't know how articulate this. that was, but <laughs> well, no, it was quite articulate. I haven't read this book. I have read Sun Burning, which and I uh, and I would have the same uh, reaction. Uh, I had the same reaction to that book that you sound like you're having to this one. So, yeah, she's a, a quirky talent. Um, uh, uh, her focus on the uh, the sort of mundane reality of her life, uh, but she sort of brings it to life in a really unusual drawing style. So, yeah, I can see why you'd be excited. about she, She's it. just hilarious, and she. She does. She she focuses on the quotidian moments, but she's immersed um, in the life of a of a young child and a, and herself as a mother mm-hmm. in a way that um, is really magical, and that those moments are profound as well as being so commonplace. And she has this really deadpan humor that is difficult to describe almost until you read it. I mean, she's just hilarious and she's hilarious approaching very dark subjects. This book in particular, um, looks at living with bipolar disorder and her recent diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Right. right. Yeah. Well Cause she does that in sunburning too. She talks about, um, yeah, she talks about her, that, that coming up. Yeah. So, and yeah, uh, and it's the, against that backdrop. She, she does find ways to be strikingly funny. Um, she has very um, spare lines, you know, and mm-hmm. captures expressions beautifully and has this ear for dialogue that is um, cinematic, like a comedian's ear for dialogue um, and these sort of episodic moments in the life of a woman living with her family and her young child um, and a little dog. And yet altogether, it becomes something so much greater than that story. Oh, great. Well, um, sounds great. <laughs> I, I got to go out and get this book. Yeah, I hope that they'll send us a copy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what, we reviewed a copy. Obviously, we reviewed it in um, EPUB. So I, I want to actually harass them to send us yeah, a couple right. copies for the in print for the office. Yeah. So that's coming out in September and really a fantastic book. The reviewer said Roberts is a unique and nuanced storyteller. And this proves her richest, best book yet. Cool. So then next up um, is... Julie Doucette's Dirty Plot. And I think it's a nice segue because um, much like Kyler, you know, has come out of the mini um, comic scene. So her work was originally serialized in mini comics. And then I believe this Koyama book actually hadn't been uh, distributed that way. It was really, she held it and did it all in one book. I I could be, I need to fact check that, but that's my understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, This Dirty Plot puts together all of Julie Doucette's work from the 90s um, scene into one huge, beautifully produced box set from Drawn and Quarterly that's out in October. Well, and, that sounds good. I mean, obviously, Doucet is a sort of foremother of uh, the kind of the alt, uh, the alternative comic scenes mm-hmm. that, we're li- that we live in today. Yeah, Doucet, uh, my pronunciation was off, Doucet's <laughs> a highly influential indie comic. You know, she's a contemporary of clothes and others. And in fact, she left the scene in 2006 because she felt, um, from what you can get from her comments, you know, that it was really a reaction to being overlooked um, and the commercial transition for some of her male contemporaries in that period. Um, but she is finally getting her due. This is this, I, like a lush production, um, you know, carefully documenting all of her zines and her longer work um, called My New York Diary. Yes, which was a great book. And it also includes a lot of other material. So the original letters, columns, essays, plugs for other comics. This is very much a part of the 90s indie zine scene that is being captured in this um, collection. 
And there's a like a comics journal interview. There's a, they have a second companion volume in the set. So there's like the main volume of her work and then a companion volume that includes mini comics as related work. Um, so basically like if you are a devotee, this is, this is for you. Um, when the review, it says the spectacular volume of a seminal feminist work, despite its deep price should hold appeal beyond collectors and libraries as a show off coffee table gift full of nineties nostalgia. Well, it's it's obviously great to see this um, this collection of her work. Now, do we know is she making comics again? Uh, has, uh, is she held to retiring from the medium? She's making other work that uh, is visual, but to my understanding, she's not making she's comics uh, uh, still. That uh, might change. I mean, it's an interesting ongoing uh, question about like where her work might reemerge in this scene now, which is obviously very different in terms of its support for uh, female cartoonists. Uh, I want to note that at the same time this is publishing, there's also a critical volume that has come out from um, Uncivilized Press by Anne Elizabeth Moore. Oh. And we, we featured that in the art criticism section of the fall announcements. It was one of the top ten picks oh, cool. by that, by that reviews that. editor. Mm-hmm. It's not under my jurisdiction because it's not comics. It's actually a critical mm-hmm. work about comics. Um, and that just came out in September. So there's really a, a renewed interest in Doucet's work. And Elizabeth Moore is a fantastic writer and very in-depth in her critical analysis. Well, that's great. Well, a much-deserved uh, reappraisal of uh, Julie Doucet. So the final book I want to talk about um, is a new gra- graphic adaptation of Anne Frank's diary. And it's by Ari Fullman and David Polanski. The work has been supported um, by the Anne Frank Foundation. Mm-hmm. And who supported the other one, the, the the previous graphic adaptation, if I'm not mistaken? That's an interesting question. This is authorized by the Anne Frank Foundation. They may have also supported it. There were a couple. I know there's a couple different foundations because the publicists were concerned we get the correct. Adaptation. Okay, so then maybe I may be um, inaccurately be. Um, uh, attributing because uh, uh, the the you know and we we chatted about this that there was a mm-hmm. um, uh, an earlier adaptation of the of the diary. Um, by novel the novel graphics imprint at mm-hmm. uh, at uh, FSG, and that was by Ernie Cologne yes. and mm-hmm. his co-creator, who also did the nine eleven um, mm-hmm. report adaptation. So it's interesting because I'm sure that I haven't read that adaptation. I thought this one was quite well done. Mm-hmm. The illustrator is Israeli, and they take uh, both. Um, an approach that honors the original work and uses Anne's own words um, and has some very creative and funny ways actually that they approach life in the annex. You know, they take some of her descriptions um, and make visual representations that kind of enliven the text in a way that, that I think appreciates her her incredible imagination. Uh Um, You know, of course I read this as a, a school child, you know, I think, most mm-hmm. Americans have. As, I, as, I, as did I, uh, many years ago. And revisiting it in graphic form was really an important experience. I think this is a highly relevant work. I mean, it definitely, as you read it, calls to question, like, how might you help neighbors in this type of situation as the yeah, well, people yeah. help um, and, and it's also just a really beautiful book about coming of age. You know, I mean, Anne is this young girl coming of age, like understanding her sexuality, understanding her relationship with her family, her place in the world in this very unusual and terrible 
situation of confinement. And there's something about that that is um, that is very special and important to read. And I think why her work has had such lasting impact. But they draw her with these dark eyes. You know, they do these interesting things like her angelic sister Margot is drawn as an owl. You know, they hmm. they, they they take the work and um, visually represent the kind of imaginative and deep way that Anne saw the world. Yeah. Well, I, I have seen the book around the office. I have not read mm-hmm. this one either, but I intend to put <laughs> all three of these books uh, on my reading table for sure. Um, as should our our listeners. Um, it's funny, Kevin, I'll have to get one that you've read next time. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Uh, well, I know you've read to say, so we can, we can, you know, I'm sure you've read a lot of the work that's now being collected, and hopefully you'll reach a new, a whole new readership with this yeah. publication. Because I, I have read many of the, the Julie Doucet uh, stories uh, back in the day when she first was publishing them. Um, so it's really, uh, well, to me, it's just great to see them all collected now and, and in one in one space. And, and certainly, as I said before, um, uh, Kyla Roberts' works appeals to me. Sunburning, I thought, was a really uh, terrific book also. So, um, uh, yeah, so excuse my phone ringing in the background. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't stop that. But um, look, uh, this is, a, this is a, a great new segment, a great collection of titles. Um, I encourage people to go out and read them. And I hope I'll get to speak to you in September. I don't know if we should um, warn the audience that I'm I'm going on maternity leave for a couple of months. We don't know how soon that will happen, but it'll probably be by mid-September. So you might hear from me in September, or you might hear my voice again in January. Okay. So uh, we'll we'll check in with you, and uh, you can make that determination. If you, if you, if you can. If you, <laughs> if you feel up to it. for me. <laughs> I know you get, yes, I know. That's right. I guess the decision <laughs> might be taken away from you. Anyway, well, anyway, thanks again, uh, Meg. Thanks, Calvin. All right, great talk as always, oh, Calvin yeah. and Meg. And, Yo, uh, Meg is great. Yeah, and uh, you know, listeners, if you if you made it this far, uh, are one of our, you know, um, if you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, uh, please rate us. Yeah, uh, good. And let us know how, how we're doing. Give um, us a you know, piece of your mind. Oh, follow yeah, a good like, piece. <laughs> yeah, follow us, like us, do all the things yeah. that you do on social media to support your favorite podcast because we know we're one of your favorite podcasts. And on that note, there will be more to come.